guilted into it. Hey, I remember those days, right? You, you probably got the speech at some time this week, and, and so you feel like you have to be here because they said, well, you have to go to church on Easter, right? And so some of you are out here under duress. Some of you are very uncomfortable. I mean, you're packed in here. Uh, you hear people coughing, uh, and you're thinking, I'm going to leave here with pneumonia or some, worse, you know? And, and so... Uh, I know that some, okay, let's just put it to rest. I know some of you are uncomfortable here today. But here's what I want you to know. I'm uncomfortable too. Ronnie, Ronnie Garrett's got a tie on. I don't even know whose funeral it is, but <laughs> evidently it's somebody's funeral. Huh? I'm uncomfortable. I'm as uncomfortable as you are because for those of you that don't ever know me, for me to be in a suit is very uncomfortable, okay? I don't preach in a suit. I don't normally dress like this. Uh, but, but there's a lot of pressure to preach on Easter, all right? Uh, so for anybody that has a preacher in the family, you know there's a lot, of, a lot of pressure to preach on Easter. This is like our Super Bowl Sunday, all right? And, and so uh, here's the deal. The reason there's so much pressure is because I've got to convince all of you that are here to come back next week. Our church board expects that, okay? They're going to say, okay, so you had 700 last week, so we expect 700 to be here next week. So there's a lot of pressure on me because at some point today, I've got to convince you to come back next week, or I could possibly lose my job, all right? And so I'm, there's a lot of pressure uh, for all of us. My, my wife knows how stressful uh, Holy Week is leading up to Easter. She, she understands it. You know, we've been doing this a long time. And, and so this week, she tried to encourage me this week, and, and she said, honey, she said, just relax, right? This is, this is Easter number 52 for you. You've got this down. You know, she said, just relax, and don't try to be witty, and don't try to be funny, and, and don't try to be intellectual. She said, just be yourself. And I don't even know what that means, but anyway, I'm, I'm kidding. Seriously, uh, this weekend is what it's all about for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus means everything to our faith, right? If the resurrection happened, then it fully supports everything we do as Christians and followers of Jesus. If the resurrection didn't happen, everything that we believe and do is a hoax, so it's very important to us the resurrection of Jesus and that the tomb is empty today. So we're going to pick it up here in chapter 28, starting at verse number 1. If you don't have your Bibles or your phone with you, you can follow along. We'll have all the scriptures on the screen this morning. God's Word says this, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the, look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven... And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I, I just love the fact that after the angel, Matthew makes a point to say, after he did this incredible thing to roll back the stone, he just kind of sat on it like, I got this, right? Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. 
He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. The angel said then, go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. And that's a phrase we're going to talk a little bit more about here in just a minute. And ran to tell his disciples. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Can you even imagine? Greetings, he said. And I just want to stop here for just a second and help us understand a little bit better that phrase in the Greek the word that's used here that's translated greetings for us here in the English language, actually scholars would say that basically the Greek word that was used there was kind of like a slang word. It would have been more like you and I uh, meeting each other, encountering each other, and just going simply, what's up, right? How's it going? You know, it would have been very casual, almost like slang that would have been used. And I point that out because sometimes we have this image of the resurrected Jesus after he rose from that tomb. We kind of think it, that he was, he was like, ah, you know, at that point. But, but he's not. Jesus was, was raised just like he lived here on this earth, a man that you could talk to, someone that you could relate to, someone that you would be comfortable around. Someone like a friend that, that, that you didn't mind being around. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't have multitudes of people following him because he was a weirdo, right? He wasn't one of those people. He was fun to be around. People wanted to be around to him. He had this uh, 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 sense of humor, I'm sure. He had, you know, people were attracted to him. And so this is how Jesus was when he raised from the dead as well. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and, and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And I'll just tell you this morning, the women really didn't know what to expect when they got to the tomb. All they knew is that they were going to the tomb. They didn't know what to expect when they got there that day. We know that they were worried about this huge stone that had been rolled and placed in front of the opening of the tomb. And they didn't know how they were going to move it or how they were going to get access uh, to the body there that day. They were probably worried about these rude and ruthless Roman guards that had been up all night protecting and guarding the tomb so that you know nothing would take place there. But one thing that we do know is that the women who came that morning were not expecting a resurrection. Right? They weren't expecting a resurrection. Verse 1 tells us that they came to look at the tomb. All right? This is like us going to a graveside. This is like you and I going to the graveside of a loved one to just visit it and honor it and maybe place flowers on it. The Apostle Paul tells us that they had brought perfume to anoint the body, which was basically their version of putting flowers on the grave. They weren't sure what to expect when they got there, but the one thing they absolutely did not expect was an empty tomb with the stone rolled away and an angel chilling on top of it, right? They weren't looking for that. They weren't expecting that. And you've got to hand it to them. They loved Jesus enough that they wanted to be near him even in death. 
But even these women, these faithful women, they didn't expect what they found. They didn't expect the resurrection. Listen, nobody expected nobody. But that's exactly what they found when they got there. No body was ever found. Nor has a body been found. That's huge. That's huge. And that empty tomb today, you can go there today and see for yourself there's no body in it. And that empty tomb today is a significant piece of evidence. All right? Because think about it. Producing a body. If they could have produced the body, it would have put an end to all of this in the beginning. Right? If they could have just produced a body, it would have been the easiest way to end this movement from going forward even before it got started good. If they could have just produced a body. Right? But despite the fact that his body was put inside a tomb, there was a stone rolled over it, there was, there was guards that were guarding it, no body was ever produced. Why? Well, it tells us right here. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Verse 14. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. But what happened? The Christian movement spread through this world faster than anyone would have ever expected or anticipated. I mean, it spread like a fire by a group of people. I want you to think about the people who started this movement, where it all began. It was a group of people who had no resources, right? They, they were poor folks. Most of them were fishermen. They, they, had no, they had no money. They had no resources. They had no prestige. They had no political power. And, and they were compelled by what? To spread this, they were compelled by what? They were only compelled by this message that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's all they had. That's all they had was this story, this message that Jesus, the tomb was empty and, and Jesus was no longer there. And, it, you know, it, was this, it wasn't just these select few who saw him alive after the resurrection. A lot of people say, well, you know, it was just the disciples and these few that saw him. Paul says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 6, he says, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of, uh, of whom are still living. Paul's like, listen, if you don't believe me about this, if you don't want to take my word for it, go ask the hundreds of people, other people that saw him, and oh, by the way, they're still alive, and you can talk to them, and they'll tell you, they saw him. They saw him alive after the fact. Paul is writing this a little less than two decades 
after Jesus had died. And belief in the resurrection was very common among Christians. And it was considered to be the core Christian belief. That's our foundation. Right? And so here's the deal. You can't really write this off as a fable. You can't really write this off as a fabricated story, right? And those who would say that it is made up, and I've talked to people. I've met plenty of atheists. I've talked to lots of atheists. I've led some atheists to Christ because I've got some evidence. But I've had people say, I believe that this story is made up. Can I just ask you if that's what you think here this morning? Why in the world would they make up such a story? Why in the world? Who had something to gain by lying? I mean, what did they have to gain? Really, I want you to think about it. By making up this crazy story and lying about it, what did they have to gain? I mean, when, when you lie about something, now I don't lie, a lot of you are liars, I know you well, but a lot of people say I lie about the size of the fish that I catch, but when you're fishing, it's not lying, it's fishing, okay, so. But I mean, think about it, when you lie about something, why do you lie about something? Well, you, you lie about something usually so you can get something out of it or gain something from it, right? I mean, you don't just do it, you don't, you don't just lie just to be lying. There's normally a reason behind the lie. You've got something to gain, something to prove, whatever. You know, maybe make a little money. Maybe to get elected. I won't go there on Easter, all right? But the ones who were telling this story, the ones who were sharing this message, they were telling this crazy story, they had nothing to gain and everything to lose. Nothing to gain and everything to lose. And as for the disciples, every single one of them, we find out later, every single one of them were killed because they would not deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who is willing to die for a lie? Right? Not many folks I know of. Right? And I'm sure if this was a made-up story and it was a lie, right before they were about to take their heads off, they would have said, oh, just kidding. Right? It's not true. They went to their death saying this story is true. The resurrection is true and the tomb is empty. Now, I'm no expert on history. Uh, if you know me very well, you know I'm no expert on much of anything, honestly. But, but I want you to listen to someone who is or someone who was. He's, he's passed, but Dr. Thomas Arnold. He was a professor of modern history at Oxford University, okay? So he devoted his whole life to studying history. and He said this. He said, The evidence for Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has been shown to be satisfactory according to the standards of any historian. It holds up according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad evidence. He goes on to say this. Tens of thousands of persons have gone through this piece by piece as carefully as any judge reviewing their most important case. I have myself done this many times over, not to persuade others or anyone else, but to satisfy myself. He said, throughout my life, I have made a career of studying 
the histories of times and events, examining and weighing the evidence for what was written about each of them. And I know of no other one fact in history which has provided a better and fuller evidence than this one. Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead. Tens of thousands have reviewed the evidence. Many have tried to prove that it's not true. Many of you may be familiar with the, I'm getting off my notes, but the, the sound booth freaks out when I get off my notes, okay? Uh, and, and, and when I do it, I'm always in trouble. I always get in trouble. But some of you may be familiar with the writer Lee Strobel. Uh, he was an atheist. Uh, he, he was an editor, I think, for the Chicago Tribune. I probably should have this in my notes. But anyway, he was an editor for a large newspaper. He set out and decided he was going to prove. Not only prove to himself, but he was going to prove to everybody else. He was going to dig up. He was going to, you know, uh, do all this research and all this to prove to people how crazy this story was and that there was no way, no how, that it could be true. And he records all of his studies and all the interviews and everything that he went through in this process to prove that it was all a hoax, it was all a scam. And in the end, he said, every piece of evidence that I found pointed to the fact that Jesus was dead, buried, and resurrected. And now, Lee Strobel is a child of God. He accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior because he said, I can find no evidence whatsoever that this was not true. And, and so now the question that Matthew and the other gospel writers present to us in telling us this story is this. What are you going to do with this evidence? What are you going to do with this story? And with this evidence. Every week in this series, I've shown those of you who have, been, who have been here how Matthew places people in the story, right? That present you with possible ways that you and I might respond to the events that took place here. And this morning, I want us to start by looking at first the women. And just because I say I'm starting here, I'm actually half done, okay? Just so you know. But anyway, I, I want to start by looking at the women this morning who we see respond with fear and joy. In, in verse 8 here in our scripture where it says that they were afraid but filled with joy. This fear is not the kind of fear that you have when you're terrified and you're in danger. Right? The kind of fear that you had when your mama got mad, right? And her head was spinning and it's, you know, not that kind of fear, all right? It's not the kind of fear that's being referenced here. But it's an awe that came from recognizing <laughs> Jesus was who he said he was. Right? It was that kind of fear. It was fear and, and awe at the time of, of understanding and recognizing Jesus, Jesus was truly who he had said that he was. And then uh, along with that was this joy because of the realization that Jesus was God and he had come to earth to rescue us, to rescue his beloved creation. He created every single one of you, every single one of us. And, and they had this joy knowing that Jesus uh, came and, and, and he loved us. He came as a friend to save us from our sins. 
And they had this joy not, not to bring judgment upon us. Jesus didn't come to judge us. He didn't come to bring judgment on us. But he came to take that judgment in your place instead of you. That's why he came, to take that on. And what that means is this, folks. If Jesus raised from the dead, okay, if that tomb is empty, then that means that guilt does not have the final word in our lives, right? It just doesn't. He took the guilt. He took the full penalty of your sin, right? And he said, you know, Scripture says that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so he took that guilt upon himself, that penalty for your sin on the cross, so that there is no condemnation. His word says that. There is no condemnation for those of us who believe and receive him as our Savior. There's no condemnation for you if you receive him as your Savior. The empty tomb means that injustice does not have the last word. Okay, we, yes, we live in a world where unfair things happen. We see them each and every day. But here's the deal, folks. God is going to overturn all those bad things, right? All of those wrong things. They are going to be righted when he heals us for an eternity, all right? The, the empty tomb means that injustice will not have the final word in this world and in our lives. The empty tomb means that, this is great news for somebody here this morning, addictions don't have the last word, huh? Y'all clapping like y'all at the masters. My mom came to church here a few weeks ago, and she said, you really need to teach your people how to say amen or do something. She said, the preaching's way too good for the response you're getting back. So I'm just telling you, that's what my mama said, so you do with it what you want. How do you respond to that, huh? Felt like I was playing golf. Good grief. I told our bunch last week, we of all people ought to be excited. Huh? If that tomb is empty, addictions do not have to be the last word. The God (laughs) in the resurrection... God released this power on earth. Can I just tell you, if you're a child of the king, you have the same resurrection power flowing through your veins that raised Jesus from the dead. Huh? Scripture tells us that. And in the resurrection, God has released a power on earth that can renew. Don't miss this. Somebody needs to hear it. It can renew all that sin has destroyed. It can do that. And maybe you're here this morning and you've messed up. Maybe you've messed up your family or you've messed up your marriage or maybe you've messed up your own life. The resurrection means that if you ask him, he can make all things new in your life. He can make all things new. The empty tune means that pain does not have the last word. Can anybody say amen? Huh? Pain does not have the last word. Maybe you've watched someone like I have, die with cancer and go through those agonizing last few days, last few weeks and moments 
Maybe you've watched someone with Alzheimer's in their last terrible days and, and maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one and maybe you've even lost a child here this morning. Let me tell you something. The resurrection shows you that that kind of pain does not have the last word. You know, through Jesus, we are being redeemed. We are being renewed to a place where there will be no more tears. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more Alzheimer's. There will be no more crying. And there will be no more sickness. And don't miss this. An empty tomb also means that death does not have the last word. Huh? He went down. All of those who are in Christ, all of those who have received Christ are raised with him for eternal life to a home in heaven. Life with him forever for those who love him. Folks, when he walked out of that grave, huh? Because he walked out of that grave, I'm walking too. Death does not have the final word. Death will not have the final word. Oh, death, where is your sting? He says. Death doesn't have the final word. I I love this quote by Billy Graham. It was all over the internet when he died and at his funeral. He said, someday you'll read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? He says, I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. If Jesus is resurrected, if that tomb is empty, these things that cause you grief, Uh, guilt and injustice, addictions and pain, the loss of loved ones, none of these have the final word in your life. The empty tomb is the final word. It is the final word. Clap. Go on, clap. Because I'm going to tell you, you can respond. You can respond like the women with fear and joy. Or you can respond like the chief priest who closed their eyes to this evidence. They close their eyes to the evidence. They don't like it. They don't want it. They ignore it. And I want you to think about it. The chief priest of all people, the priest, the holy priest, right? Rather than seeking out the truth. They pay the guards to lie about it because they don't want the resurrection of Jesus to be true. And I think these chief priests here in the story represent people today who secretly know. You know, in their mind and in their heart, they secretly know or at least suspect that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did, you know, come out of that tomb. But they come up with all these reasons not to believe. They suspect it. They think they're buying it. But they still come up with all these reasons not to believe the evidence. Because here's the deal. They don't like the implications if it is true. They don't like what that means for them in their life. Because here's the deal. If Jesus rose from the dead, it means that he is Lord. And if he is Lord, that means that he must have absolute control over your life. A lot of people don't like that. A lot of people don't want that. Chief priest didn't like it. They didn't want it. They wanted to be in control. They had had this thing down to an art. They had all these rules, all these lists, all these things, and they knew how holy they were. And so they wanted to be in control. 
They didn't want Lord, the Lord to be in control. Let me tell you something. When the Lord is Lord of all, when He is Lord, it means that His agenda trumps our own agenda. It means that His plans become our plans. Our, our life is His. It is not our own. Our life is His. Our plans are His. I'm going to say this, even though I expect all of you to be back next week. This is going to knock some of you out. Our money is His. Our time is His. If He rose from the dead, folks, He must be Lord of all. He is Lord of all, and He must be Lord of all. If the tomb is empty, we have nothing to really boast about. We have nothing to really brag about. We are no better than anyone else. We want to think we're better. We're like the chief priest. We think we got it, right? We look good in here on Easter morning, all dressed up in our suits and all that. We're no better than anyone else. Let me tell you, folks, we're all equal at the cross. I don't care what color you are. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care where you live. I don't care if you've been in prison, not in prison, or if you're going to prison tomorrow. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all sinners who need a Savior. That's us. That's who we are. That's who you are. And like the, you know, the chief priest, that's hard for us to believe because deep down we want to think that we're better than other people. But I'm going to just tell you, to believe in Jesus, it takes humility. It takes humility. And if the tomb is empty, then we have to admit, you know what, we don't understand a lot of things. Right? We, we don't understand a lot of things that have happened. We don't understand a lot of things that are happening right now. We don't understand when something happens that we think shouldn't have happened. But yet still we must believe. That's faith. That's the faith part of the equation. We must trust Him even when we don't understand and acknowledge that He has a plan. And ultimately, folks, listen, it's going to end for the best. It's going to end for the good. And He has a plan. So the question is this morning is this. Are you like the chief priest? Are you like the chief priest? In your heart, are you convinced that Jesus probably is true? Or at least you suspect that it might be. But you've never really committed to him because you don't like the implications of what that might look like for you if it is true. I mean, we read this and think. Honestly, you read this story and you think about these chief priests. You think, how pathetic is this? The religious leaders, the chief priests, priests of all people, are trying to cover up the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want you to just think about it for a minute, because don't you realize today that your own excuses for not coming to Jesus will look equally pathetic and foolish viewed through the lens of eternity? Why would you ever deny and turn away from the evidence there was no body, and there is still no body to be found. The tomb is empty. And because that tomb is empty, folks, I'm going to tell you, it demands a response. That empty tomb, whether you like it or not, you may come in here today and think, no, 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 this ain't for me. This is for everyone. If that tomb is empty today, it demands a response from you. It demands a response.
And your response will either be like the women in this story today, and you'll be filled with fear and awe and joy because you've met the Savior, or your response will be like the chief priest who closed their eyes to the evidence that is there. And, and over these past few weeks of this series, we have had several. It, it's been incredible over these past four weeks to see the number of people that have responded. And, and I just want to ask them to come now as we prepare this morning for baptism. If you're, if you're signed up for baptism today, you go make your way. Go on right now. Go get ready. It's going to be a great day. This morning as we close, I just uh, want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to close today with a final word to our guests that are here, or maybe the ones that are here that's not really all about church. You know, I've always feared that when I extend an invitation that you think, you're sitting there thinking... See, this is what I hate about Christians. They're always trying to convert me. And you know what I say to that? You're absolutely right. You're right. But can you not at least understand why I'm trying to do it? There was an atheist by the name of Penn Gillette. An atheist once said this. He said, you know, a lot of my friends, they get mad. They get angry when Christians try to convert them and convince them. He said, I can respect that. He said, this is an atheist. He said, what I don't understand is people who actually believe this and don't try to persuade me or convert me. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody not to try to convert them? And those who know me know that I will never force, I never pressure, that's not me. But I think this morning you deserve to know the truth so that you can make your own decision. And you can decide for yourself. And yes, this morning I would love for you to believe and Chances are that the person that invited you to come today, they would love for you to believe it too. And I'm going to fill you in on a little secret. That's why they invited you. They were hoping that I could convince you and that I could convert you. And things just got a little weird. And so maybe this morning you're here today and you're ready to believe because like we've seen, the empty tomb, it demands a response. You either accept it and embrace it or you deny it and ignore the evidence and walk away from it. But it demands a response. And so today, you know that you have to respond. Or maybe you're just curious enough that you would come back next week and start checking these things out a little further along with us, and we would be thrilled for you to do that. We honestly would. 
But I believe that some of you are ready this morning to believe right now. You are convinced that Jesus is who he said he is. That he raised from the dead. The tomb today is empty. And you're ready to believe and ask him to save you and be Lord of your life. And if that's you today with heads bowed, with eyes closed this morning, I would just ask that if you want to be saved today, saying this, saying that you believe this, and you realize that Jesus came to this earth and he died on a cross for your sins instead of you. And you want to be forgiven of your sins and become his child today. I'm just going to ask you this morning to raise your hand right now and hold it high. Raise your hand right now and hold it high. If you want to accept Christ as your Savior, I, I see that hand. I see those hands. I see that hand. Are there any others? You want to receive Jesus into your heart, just raise your hand right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know that you've made that decision. And I'm going to pray with you this morning before we go. Are there any others this morning? Put your hands down. Thank you so much. God, we're humbled. We're humbled by your love that you have shown us and the love that you have shown us. God, it's incredible to see that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is still resurrecting lives today. Several that have lifted their hands in response today in doing that receive new life receive this renewal, receive this uh, forgiveness of their sins. God, it only comes through Jesus. It only comes through the blood that was shed on Calvary. The forgiveness of sins comes through the blood. The eternal life comes through the empty tomb. And today, we continue to celebrate and thank you and praise you that that tomb is empty. I pray for these now today that have made the decision. Maybe Maybe they didn't raise their hand as a commitment to become a follower of Christ. But they're really giving it a lot of thought and consideration. And I pray that they would soon come to the realization that the only hope we have in this world is the hope that we find here in an empty tomb. That they would find a place of personal time with you where they would just accept you and get forgiveness of their sins and become a child of the King. Because that's the only hope that we have in this life that we're living here on this earth is that there's an eternity on the other side of it with you. And today, you've brought us to a point to where we have to respond to that. You gave us a choice. You created us as human beings with the, the ability and the opportunity to make our own decisions. So today, there's a lot of decisions being made here in this place. God, this morning we're going to celebrate some that have already responded, and it's a great time. And I pray that uh, as we celebrate with our new family members, that you would be honored and you'd be glorified. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus that we ask these things. Amen. Well, today, before you go, we have... We have some that are coming to be baptized. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about what that is. 
and what it means. Baptism is a public declaration, basically, of committing your life to Jesus. Uh, If you have been saved and not baptized, I just want you to know this is the first act of obedience in becoming a follower of Christ. If you accepted Him this morning, your next step, Scripture says, Scripture says, repent and be baptized. All right, and so that's your next step of faith. It was the first thing that Jesus did when he began his ministry was to set an example in how we're to begin our walk and our journey with Christ. And so it's so very important, so important. In baptism, we are publicly identifying with Jesus as his followers. All right, and, and it, it all represents Jesus' life. If you'll pay attention, when, when, we, when we put them under the water, it, it represents Jesus going to die for us in our sins, right? And we're, we're going into that grave with him. But there ain't no grave going to hold that body down, huh? And, and so when they come up out of that, it represents the new life, the cleansing power uh, of Jesus' blood in our life, the new life that we receive when we received him as Savior. It identifies us with a risen Savior and a tomb that is now empty. And so as these come to be baptized today, we should really celebrate that. We should really encourage them and cheer them on. And, and so let me, let me just tell you, we have more baptisms scheduled over the next few weeks. So if you know you need to do that and you want to do that, contact me, get with me, uh, contact our office, and we'd love to get that scheduled for you. But let's celebrate with these that have come this morning. Well, good morning. We're excited that you're here this morning. And the first person baptized this morning is Mr. Hunter Moss. Hunter's my good friend, plays baseball a little bit. But Hunter, do you know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? And you've asked him for forgiveness? And your mom is the most beautiful woman in the world? There we go. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Next up, we got Colby Malone. Colby's been one of our students for many, many years now. We got one year left together. But Colby, he uh, he texted me, said, "I got to call you right now." I said, "Oh, okay. What's up, Colby?" He said, "I got to be baptized today." And I said, well, "It's Monday, man. We got to wait till Sunday." And so, anyway, Colby, do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And I'm the greatest youth pastor in the world. And you've asked him for forgiveness for your sins. And you're going to listen to your mom always. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next up is my man, Mr. T.J. Nelson. T.J. is never short of a guy to make fun of. He always... He always just opens the door of opportunity, and I just, I can't help myself. So, Colby, do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins? And you've asked him for your forgiveness. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next up is Mr. Logan Hennington. Logan's been hanging out with us on Wednesday nights, and man, he runs with a rough crowd, but they're all right in my books, so. Logan, do you love Jesus more than anything else in the world? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Next up is Mr. Bryce Allison. I think Bryce plays every sport in Greenbrier Athletics. As you can tell by those guns flashing out there, give them a little flex. That's what I'm talking about. You know that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that he rose from the grave. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Next up is my man, Mr. Evan Iberg. And what's cool about Evan, he said, why do I have to go last? I said, because I said so. Uh, but Evan, the past four guys, the reason they have started coming to church is because of my man, Evan Iberg. And so kudos to you, my friend. So, you know, Jesus Christ died for your sins. It's a special day. I know Miss Pat's watching. Baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Lori, if she'll join me down here right now. God has started writing a beautiful story in the family. Michael and Laurie Burgess, and I can't wait to see how it continues and how it goes in the future, but I am beyond thrilled to be able to baptize Laurie today, and Laurie, I just want to ask you if you accepted Christ as your Savior, amen, and it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is Brittany Boren. She's the one that started all this. Just so you know, we've never done baptisms on Easter. Brittany came to me months ago, and she said, I need to be baptized really bad. And she said, I would love, my birthday is on a Sunday this year, and she said, I would love to be baptized on my birthday. I think that would be really special. I said, I think it would be special too. She said, I said, when's your birthday? And she told me, and I didn't say anything. A little bit later, she texted me, and she said, I just realized that's Easter Sunday. And I said, and we're still going to baptize you on Easter Sunday. And now 11, no, I'm sorry, we did four, 15 other people have joined you this weekend and been baptized on your birthday. It's awesome. That's right. Brittany, have you accepted? Yeah, go ahead. Brittany, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're good. Tail? Tail? You want to join me? This is a cool cat right here. This guy's name's Tail. Who's got a cooler name than that? Huh? Well, we're blessed to have him and his family uh, join us in our church. Tail actually got saved at Vacation Bible School over at Wooster Baptist Church, and so that's awesome. Hey, we're all building the kingdom together. That's what it's all about. And so he wants to be baptized, and we've talked about it. His mom knows uh, without a doubt that he knows what he's doing. We talked about it a little bit earlier but this morning. Tell if you accepted Christ as your Savior, you know he lives in your heart now. Amen. And I, it's my privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
All right. Sam, you want to join me? This is Sam. Cool, another cool dude. All right, it's warm, isn't it? It just kind of makes you want to swim. Just sit down right there. Yeah, I know Janice and Jerry. Are y'all able to see this? Is that on the screen so grandparents can see? Sam, do you know that you've accepted Christ as your Savior and that He lives in your heart now? Amen. Then it's my privilege to baptize you today and celebrate with all your family. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you, brother. One morning. Come on, Nathan. I am looking forward to spending the future with the Miller family. They moved in here. There's a long story about how they came to our church. Uh, but one of the few times I've actually been interviewed by someone to see if uh, we were going to uh, meet all the criteria. And obviously we did. And uh, it was a pleasure to get to know Nathan, and we look forward to getting to know your family better in the days ahead, and then for you to make a commitment to receive Christ a few weeks ago, and said he had to be baptized, and so we celebrate with you today and your family, and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. It's my privilege to baptize you today in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, brother. Well, it's been a great resurrection weekend, and I hope it continues to be great for you today. Did we get them all? We got them. I think we've got them all, but we got more coming next week, so come back. I love you. Happy Easter. Y'all have a great day.